constantly being told by society that you're a failure, right? In soft and overt ways. Um, and so you can kind of internalize that kind of stuff. You go like, oh, maybe I'm kind of a loser. Maybe I'm kind of a fuck up. But you can totally forgive yourself. I mean, if you're watching this, I give you permission to forgive yourself. You're fine. Just dust yourself off, jump back up, and, and go for it, you know? Don't be afraid. And don't be afraid to love yourself. It's, uh, you probably know how to love yourself better than anybody, and that will bring the right kind of relationships into your life. That was Trey Ratcliffe, and this is Doug It, the podcast. Welcome to Duggett, episode 58, and a special episode, as always. Sometimes I sit back there and I wonder how did I end up with this person at this time in this place in the world. Um, it really is bizarre when you sit back and think about it. I was just listening to Michael Bernard Beckwith talk about how we can use kind of magnetism with our thoughts to draw people, opportunities, ideas, everything into existence into our life and there's a great study in Joe Polish's not Joe Polish Joe Polish is cool though <laughs> Dr. Joe Dispenza's book how he talks about a study where they had a baby chicken taken away from its mother and they replaced the mother uh, chicken with a robotic chicken that was meant to and it was just beyond this little wall and the robot was programmed to travel all around this little arena but just the power of the thought of the baby chicken to be with its mother, drew the robot in and pulled it all the way up against the wall so it would only move up and down this one wall where the baby chicken was. It's kind of a, a little bit hard to describe, but it's an amazing study and uh, metaphor or example of the power of the mind. You don't need to be a chicken to put it into practice either. <laughs> so I'd been thinking about traveling to the States, going to Burning Man. I've been reading Michael Pollan's book on psychedelics and was really interested in reading Michael Singer's book on the untethered soul, all about egolessness. And uh, then Trey walks in and he kind of embodies all of this. And sometimes you just connect with someone on the same wavelength. And uh, and he was on that length, all right. Um, some interesting facts about Trey. So he's he pioneered HDR photography and he's one of the most followed photographers in the world. And he can only see through his left eye, so he sees everything in 2D, which is how we see a photograph anyway. So he's turned what would be perhaps a weakness <laughs> into an amazing strength and, uh, and at least a talking point. And he had one of the biggest followings on Google Plus before it shut down. He had millions of friends there, uh, online friends. And his friends with legends like Kevin Kelly, the founder of Wired, and Kevin Rose, who's got a great podcast, and some amazing people in Silicon Valley, really kind of cutting-edge dudes. Um, he also helped raise $13 million plus for a peak design a camera bag Kickstarter, which is really cool, so I'll put that in the show notes if you're looking for camera kit. It's a really cool bag he helped create. Uh, I've been looking through his photos, and he looks like he's traveled to every cool place on earth and droned it or photographed it. He's a regular Burning Man participant. He goes every year. And he's just written uh, a really interesting book on social media and the perils of Instagram and how it's hacked and manipulated and 
really it's a, a great trap. And so he was talking my language when he was talking about the anxiety and the kind of fakeness of it all. So it was a really refreshing voice to hear him, someone who's in that space, be able to sit back and maybe he takes a camera with him, but he doesn't really feel that need, particularly around selfies. He had a big <laughs> spiel on selfies, which were, which I thought was um, very timely. And uh, while Trey was here up in Tiari at the lodge, we managed to do a great hike, a uh, brim tail hike, and he took this really cool uh, camera, 360-degree camera, and we filmed the whole hike, and you can scroll through the screen on YouTube and, and actually see all around where we're walking and talking. And it was such a great format. He's filmed a few of these. There's one with Ke- uh, Kevin Kelly where he walks the El Camino Trail. And so I'll put a link to that in the show notes too because it's an amazing... I think I'm going to have to do some of them myself. It's such a neat way to capture a conversation and also the scenery and the experience. And there's nothing like walking and talking as opposed to just sitting but we managed to do both which is which is great and um, the other thing I got from Trey was that he was just all love and uh, yeah quite literally he's just a really loving guy so real honor to sit down with him to share this podcast with you really got me excited about photography the interesting thing about his photographs is he was an amateur photographer and he just grew this passion into a profession and now he's full-time traveling the world, mixing and mingling with some amazing people, creating some amazing, beautiful pictures. I'll have to include some of his photos in there. And uh, and lastly, he's he's also done some epic videos, one with Alan Watts uh, voicing over his drone footage, and it's so beautiful. He's doing another, working on another secret project similar to that at the moment, so watch that space. But without further ado, here is Trey Ratcliffe spreading consciousness and goodness throughout the world. Hope you get plenty from it. Enjoy. Cool. Well, we'll uh, welcome Trey. Hey, thanks, Doug. Happy to be here. It's been a oh, pleasant surprise when someone turns up to... You heard a little bit about you from David Maxwell, and then um, didn't really have any expectations. You guys turn up and just straight at the, on the same vibe. Oh yeah, talking about the same books. Uh, Michael Pollan's latest book, How to Change Your Mind on Psychedelics, and um, I just hit it off, and I was like, Yeah, fantastic chance to do a podcast with you. Just so grateful for your thank you time. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to get to know you too. We're on the we are simpatico, and. You know, I, I was just talking to another friend named Tim Chang, who's really into like hacking consciousness and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, yeah, we all go through life changes sort of stuff. And um, he was telling me, you know, Trey, um, he gives you this very avuncular advice. And he goes, you know, now, look, I have an open heart and I'm vulnerable, all this stuff. And I really believe in the universe. But the more you do this, the more the universe is awesome back to you. Right? And I think like the right kind of people pop into your life at the right time. But that doesn't happen if you go around with a closed heart or you're afraid. Um, that, that's not right. So now I have more and more Dugs popping into my life and it's awesome. You make my life richer. Oh, straight yeah. back at you, brother. Oh, thank that's, you. Well, that's funny because I listened to, it was a Paul Chick podcast. And he was talking about the guy, Michael, I forget his last name, but he was a spiritual 
a spiritual teacher and he taught he wrote this whole book on on magnetism mm. like your thoughts bring like right and a few years ago if you told me like manifestation and man and 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 magnetism and mm. and and consciousness and a lot of these ideas that would have seemed so woo woo and now right. now i'm like well i see it kind of yeah every day um so Thanks, yeah. th- thanks to the universe for making, yeah, <laughs> for making right. it happen. Good job, universe. Love your work. Don't ever change. <laughs> and uh, and so uh, the, from last night's chat, like the brief gist was you've, mm. like this is kind of your second life, um, the, not just the consciousness stuff, but from software developing and, and kind of business side to now full-time photographer and kind of mm. pioneering HDR photography. How, how have you been navigating that journey or how did that come about? Because you've mm. you said you're self-educated as well, which is really right. neat. Like it's just been a passion that's mm. that's rolled into what's now a, a vocation, would you call it a vocation or what do you, what do you call what you yeah, do? We'll call it both a vocation, avocation. <laughs> you know, they say do, do what you love and you'll find a way to make money. I don't know if that's true. I haven't found a way to make money from watching Asian porn yet, <laughs> but I have with photography. Um, and I, you know, they actually, the good advice really is, um, you know, find, do something to make money, uh, do something just as a hobby that you love and do something that keeps you in shape. Right. Now these three things don't have to be the same thing. I'm lucky in my case they are. And yeah, so now I'm a 10 to 47 years old and I didn't get my camera, my first camera until I was 35, like 12 years ago. And there was always this throbbing in the back of my head that I was meant to do something else with my life. And, but I didn't know what it was. Uh, before, my background is computer science and math. Uh, so I was in the IT industry for a while, entrepreneurial, had, had a few companies, most total failures. Um, and I was traveling when I was 35 um, to some of our game studios. And I was in Kuala Lumpur, and I thought I should get a camera or something. So I got the and a Nikon D80, and there was this beautiful sunset, I'll never forget it. And I took a photo, and my photo was total shit. It was terrible, and it kind of made me angry. I was like, how can, how can the world be so amazing and a photo is such a poor representation of it? I said, that's not right. So it sent me on this lifelong mission uh, to find out more about uh, photography and the way the retina works and the way the brain analyzes light. Um, I got into this thing called HDR photography before it was a thing. I found this little algorithm, I think it was on the MIT website or something, it was command line. And I thought, this, is, this algorithm was originally used uh, to analyze Mars rover photos, uh, to see like what was in the atmosphere, or what chemicals and minerals were in the, in the ground. I thought, what happens if you run this like on a sunset photo? And I did it and I was like, wow, this is really cool, I love it. And then I started sharing it immediately on my blog it, this just seemed like a natural thing to do, like create and share. That's what kids do. And I just did it because it felt right. And that kind of set me on my, my hero's journey, you know, my Joseph Campbell-esque trip into the desert to find myself. And yeah, so I just became more and more right-brained. Um, I knew that when I was taking photos, I was being very present and mindful. There was, I wasn't vexed about the future or worried about the past. I was just walk around Iceland and be lost, and it was just incredible. But I didn't know that there was anything called consciousness. I didn't know that was a thing um, until many years later when I started reading uh, Eckhart Tolle and things like this. 
And then I was able to put an intellectual scaffolding around this feeling, these feelings that I was having and my, my new freedom and yeah, I just felt so alive. I finally felt like I was finding my true life's purpose. You know, sometimes it takes a while. Um, yeah, so it's been a wild uh, journey. And by the way, I still don't know what I'm doing. Uh, we, we now we have a, a good art business. You know, we sell fine art to collectors and that kind of, that pays the bill. We've got great collectors all around the world and I'm very thankful for. Um, and I uh, just wrote a book uh, to try to help people with anxiety on social media. Because uh, I see a lot of suffering out there, a lot of undue suffering. Um, yeah, just, you know, always just lots of different artistic and creative pro projects. I, I kind of need to do creative projects all the time, otherwise I get a little nihilistic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to get the charging cord for this before I... Oh, sure. Um, forget. Um, but I want to... Yeah, I did New Zealand's first digital detox day this year and... Um, and so conscious about my own mental health and this kind of new era of social media and, and I've been using it with my brother and with myself and with different businesses to try and, even the lodge, mm. to try and market something you believe in but then it can quickly turn to something that's like addictive, narcissistic, mm. um, that's all about like the ego and getting self-approval mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's such an interesting space and I love the, the what was the title of your book again? It's got quite the hand grenade <laughs> of a title. Um, I really wanted to call it How to Stay Zen on Social Media, but I went with a more clickbaity name. Um, it's called Under the Influence, How to Fake Your Way into Getting Rich on Instagram. And the subtitle is um, Influencer Fraud, Selfies, Anxiety, Ego, and Mass Delusional Behavior. Um, you know, as an insider, right, I have lots of followers or whatever, and I'm also an, an influencer. I, I end up doing like gigs with the Ritz-Carlton and some other companies. Um, and so I've just found out a lot about how, how it works on the inside. And I end up at some of these events, sometimes these luxury travel events with other influencers. And I talk to them, you know, I, you know, I like to have deep conversations. I'm not a small talk kind of guy. I like to get in there and figure out what's going on in the brain. I like figuring out people's brains. It's, it's interesting. Um, anyway, so I talk to some of these influencers and there's, sometimes there's just a hollowness, there's a lacking, there's no substance. I'm not saying that everyone I talk to, I expect to be like Alan Watts, but I can tell if there's any substance there. Then I would look further into them and I, I saw and I figured out that they were, they buy followers, you can buy likes, you can buy comments. And then, so what they do is they build this fake persona, which is all non-human interaction. And they go to these big brands and they, they get like free trips, free cars, free product purses. Uh, sometimes they get paid cash on top of it, you know, 50,000, 100,000 first class tickets. Um, so there's a massive amount of influencer fraud out there. No one really knows what's going on. Now, this is particularly deleterious, not just for brands and businesses that don't know about all this fraud that's going on, um, but it also creates a false narrative 
where we are watching these supposedly awesome people on social media, on Instagram, that have these great lives. And they tell you all about it. You know, you see pictures of them holding a champagne in a bubble bath, you know, or in a first class seat or holding a Prada bag. And they're just so awesome. Recording a podcast in a yoga studio. (laughs) Right. And (laughs) And so, um, and that causes a lot of anxiety in people, right? They see like, oh, look at these people. They have great lives. And it makes you feel like a loser. It gives you anxiety. They're getting so many likes, so many comments, and you're not getting any likes in this big public scoreboard. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of, I think that's one reason I wrote the book, to show that there is another path. You know, you can still engage in social media and be like a positive, loving force um, and not, not let the worst aspects of human nature uh, be dominated by that um, algorithm. Yeah, and that's, is a welcome message at this this time, mm-hmm. and I think it's oh, it's just it's it's so overwhelming. It's um, and like you say, people are trying to navigate this new new space as well. Mm. And I mean, you talk about not like being present in the moment where you mm. go and enjoying like the moment, and rather than trying to have to capture everything. Mm. I mean, right. do. You, do you struggle with it at all as a photographer thinking I should be shooting this or maybe it's you carry a camera and that feels quite yeah. different or yeah like what or is it quite natural because you're self-taught as well and you do these right. photography tours right I can be very present while I take photos I'm very mindful I'm pretty good at that as sort of a I think of the camera as a natural extension of my mind body soul connection and um I don't, like I have a kind of a no selfie policy, nothing wrong with selfies, but I talk a lot about selfies in the book and how weird this society is that we're in. And there's a lot of studies that show how harmful it is, especially to young women. But anyway, so um, there's two kinds of selfies. One is just like a casual selfie. Like if I do a snap of us, like, hey, I'm with Doug, we're doing a podcast, boom, social media done, right? Then there's the fucked up kind, right? Where, like, let's imagine we were a couple of ladies at a book club or something, you know, and we're all there at a coffee shop and we take like a hundred photos, right, of all each other, and you just sit there quietly for 20 minutes, picking the best one, editing it, so that everyone knows that you have a per- perfect life and you're out with some fun friends and, oh gosh. That's fucked up, I think. That's not natural behavior. And in fact, we've never seen this kind of behavior before where, People are seeking the approval of absolute strangers, right? Who will never have any impact on their life, material, emotional, spiritually. Um, in fact, it's the opposite of it. Um, because, you know, you're, you're wanting to get all these likes. You want pe- There's this belief that I have that anyone that leads a, a perfect life, they have no need to share it online because the sharing does not increase its perfection. Um, and I think it's quite poisonous what's, what's happening out there. It's not good for people's psyches. It feeds the ego, which is the enemy of any kind of conscious um, progression. Uh, and yeah, it's, just, it's not a good thing. But I still think you can engage with it and, and, and be good. And just, I, I look, I know this sounds airy-fairy, but I really believe the answer to everything is love. And if you share stuff in a loving way, you try to be a, a positive force in people's lives, give them things and do things for them, 
share your creations with them. Um, that's, that's the strongest force on earth. And I think it's up to artists and creatives. I think it's up to us to save the world, right? I don't really trust governments. I don't really trust all the corporations, but it's up, it's up to us. And so this is, I think it's probably the most exciting time to be alive because now, you know, consciousness is a thing and we're all somewhere on that ramp and we want to help everyone on that ramp. Yeah, I love it. Love is the, the answer and that's an epiphany I've had on, um, on a few experiences from meditation to mm-hmm. edible marijuana and, mm-hmm. and, um, and I'm interested in the psychedelic realm, but before I jump into that, on the, on the photography side, you, mm-hmm. you do workshops as well and they're kind of, I mean, they're for really high-end clientele. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like an amazing experience. And what would, I mean, from your years of experience of working through it, are there a few tips for budding photographers? Oh, full uh, of tips. You, yeah. <laughs> are there any kind of key ones that you'd really try and preach to people? Yeah. I do maybe just two photography workshops a year. I love it. I love teaching people. Because, you know, when you when you teach someone how to do something, you really kind of have to re-examine, like, how are you doing it and why are you doing it? And I like to, I like to kind of always give answers in new ways. So we do one here in New Zealand. We just have one next week, and we have one upcoming in uh, Africa, which is going to be awesome. And I, so I'm a weird teacher. It's just like I never learned photography traditionally. I've never been to a photography workshop, so I have no idea how other people do it. <laughs> I just do it the way that I think I would like to go. And photographers, people that are interested in it, we usually get beginners or just intermediate. They, they're often very clever people. You know, they're type A, they like to figure stuff out, a little analytical. So I think probably the most important thing is to learn to let go of that because it doesn't really help you create anything artistic or interesting. Um, once you learn the basics of the camera and some basic software, um, once that foundation is taken care of, then you can really surf with your right brain and, and be free and have real, real breakthroughs. And most of what my workshop is, is um, I'm a little sneaky in that, you know, I don't just talk about consciousness and stuff with you, I, do, I talk about it with everybody. And a lot of these people, we tend to get a little bit of an older crowd, 30 plus, 40 plus. They really haven't. Ex- they really haven't spent time on their artistic side, right? Because they have regular jobs and, and this sort of thing. And so they really haven't done much soul searching. Um, and then so when you start taking photos, you're like, okay, well, what do I want to take photos of? What's interesting to me? And then how do I make it artistic? Or what, what, do I, what is my photography about, you know? Um, am I just taking pretty pictures to show off or Am I using this as a mechanism to explore myself? Um, I think photography or any artistic endeavor is a great uh, proxy for becoming comfortable with change. You know, life is nonstop change, nonstop challenges. And if you go out there with a camera and you're forcing yourself to be uncomfortable, uh, either by traveling or just getting in diff- different kind of artistic situations, and you do this every day, 
your brain is very plastic and you become very used to being in uncomfortable situations and very used to change. Um, so you become comfortable with being uncomfortable and that's what life is about. And so the, the more you take photos and the more you push yourself creatively, the easier your life goes because you get used to change. And you don't fight it, you're not afraid of it. Um, I have to say that you're the dolphin that swims in the waves. Um, and if, if you just look at objectively, right, just look at objectively different kinds of people out there. If you look at creatives that are artistic and they just say what they feel from their heart and they create and they share like in a very loving way, like to me, these are some of those awesome people in the world. They're interesting. Uh, they're full of love. They're full of surprises. They don't seem to have a lot of hangups. You don't hear them complain a lot. Like really creative people, you very rarely hear them complain because so much of life is just about accepting what is and not complaining. And then there's the other kind of person who complains about everything and they're afraid. Can you believe what this person did to me? Can you believe this person isn't doing that? Can you believe this situation that have like just complaining all the time? And these are not super happy people. Um, and that's not a good thing. It's not a good thing to feel so put upon and like the world is out to get you or everyone is wronging you. Um, that's ridiculous. And so I, I kind of find these to be two extreme sides of personality. One is creative, open, sharing, loving. The other one is more afraid, complaining, and the, the world is out to get them. This side seems a lot better to me, right? And it's not hard to be there. You just have to, you have, to have a bit of curiosity, uh, be brave to try new things. And it's never too late to kind of reinvent your life or start adding this into your life. It can be anything, it doesn't have to be photography, it can be like, you wanna make pastries, or you ought to be like your sister and make these incredible organic things. Um, you can create in so many kinds of ways, and I think it's, um, I think it's really good for your soul. Yeah, I think the just creating for the sake of creating is often mm. missed in, in the, I know for me there's a temptation to jump into like, well, how's the money, you know, how's the money gonna be made, or how's this mm. gonna fit in, and, and but when you're young, you just make yeah. for the sheer joy of it. And right. it's like an expression of just your soul, I guess. Which yeah, right. And also, it goes without saying that 99% of my creations are shit. They're just terrible. They're not that interesting. But they're little studies. And I'm a hard on myself. Every now and then I make something that I think is cool and I'm proud of it. But not proud in an egotistic way. I'm proud like, wow, you know. And even when I make it, I feel like it wasn't even me making it. I just kind of channeled the universe like a muse. <laughs> so I kind of thank the universe for those things because sometimes the more I try and the harder I try, the, the less easy things go. Um, so I'm learning and I'm fascinated by the whole creative process uh, still. Because like I said, I didn't get into it until I was 35, 12 years ago. Um, but I think like maybe other artists that start really young or like go to acting school or things like that young, they've really had a lot longer to deal, deal with this um, strange reality of being a creative, um, yeah. So what's your, what, what's your superpower or gift, do you think, in that space? Because you dived into the HDR thing and kind mm -hmm. of pioneered that software and that look and that feel, but do you think, um, what do you think is that's really unique that you bring to, to photography or, or what do you think you inherently are so naturally gifted that you don't think about it. Is there anything that, because you seem yeah. like a super curious uh, person. 
Yeah, I don't really know what my X Factor is, to be honest. I think I, people seem to really love my photos. Not all people, some people don't like them. Actually, photographers generally don't like my photos, but other, other people do, right? Photographers are weird. Every industry, people are obsessed with what other people in that industry think about them, you know? Like, I don't know this for sure, but you know, where I live down in Queenstown, there's real estate people that sell real estate. And I'm sure they're obsessed with about what other real estate agents think about them. But like me, I just want to buy a house. I don't care. You know, if I like you, I'll buy a house from you. So whatever your photographers are really bad like that. But I have noticed the general public, uh, like the muggles, I don't, that sounds judgy, I don't mean like that. <laughs> it's just sort of a funny thing. But they, they seem to really like the photos and they get surprised because they haven't seen anything like it before. And I think this is a very nice thing to surprise people. So I think I have that ability to, to, to take something that people have seen a million times, but they haven't really seen it. And I could bend the light around in a way that surprises them. As a photographer, right, I, I walk around and I'm, I'm, I, I'm sure I see things most people don't see. I'm super sensitive to shadows and light and contrast. Um, there is one physical defect about me that I call the gift, and that is that I was born uh, blind in one eye, and I still am, I only see out of my left eye. So I see the whole world in 2D. And if you think about it, when you look at a phone or a computer screen, it, it's 2D, and it's a 3D world. This is obvious what I'm saying, but if you break it down. So a photographer has to remove one dimension and make it understandable. And I think I'm just naturally good at that because I'm used to navigating a 3D world. You know, I don't trip over anything. I did fall in a hole earlier today. <laughs> but I don't usually fall down <laughs> that much. Um, yeah, so maybe that's a little bit of my X factors. I see out of one eye. I'm good at surprising people. Because um, I want to surprise myself. I mean, how boring is it to go through life and never surprise yourself or anybody else? I just love the idea of turning your your what people class as a weakness into a strength mm. you know as well and I, I always had this thing with my neck where my head was mm. not stuck on straight right and I used to get teased about it at school and then I and then started getting more into creative stuff yeah. and I, I was thinking I could kind of claim this as a you know like a slant on life kind of yeah. look you know and, and actually there's an energy shift when you're kind of that's right. Accepting who you are rather than trying to change who you are. Right. Now, it's great to be born with something that's kind of fucked up in your body or because you get wired up differently and then you won't be normal. And it, isn't that the worst thing to be normal? My goodness. <laughs> but it's so funny because so many parents want, want their kids to be normal and fit in and kind of be in the middle of the bell curve. But that's actually not what you want at all. And that's actually a trap of the social media, too, that everyone wants the images to look perfect right. in a certain aesthetic and I, I was reading how creativity is actually dropping because people are trying to fit the mold that gets the yep. likes and the awareness and everyone does these sunset landscape surf photos and they oh, do yeah. the, the coffee shot right. with the croissant and, the, yeah. and, it's, yeah. and then you see all these so much food porn out there yeah. and, and I mean is that coming back to just I mean, how do you keep it fresh for you? I mean, travel must help. And yeah, travel helps. Interesting people. Um, and if I think a photo is interesting, I put it up. I don't, I do read the responses, but I don't let them affect me. Yeah. I could care less what people say. Also, I ignore the good feedback too, right? I don't just, just look at the good and not the bad. 
Um, and how do I keep it fresh? That's a good question. There's a few, oh, there's a funny Instagram account out there called Insta Repeat. And they do exactly what you're talking about, where they put up 12 photos at a time, and it's 12 people copying each other. There's the old one where there's, you're camping out, and you're in a tent, and there's a mountain, and there's a photo out of the tent, and there's a mountain, and so, and so they repeat that. Or like, you're in, a, you're in a misty lake in a canoe, and you're wearing a red jacket. You know, there's like 12 <laughs> of those. And I, I agree, I think this is not creative. You're just copying, because you've seen it be successful for other people, and you feel the need to get likes, or you feel the need to be liked by strangers. But again, this is what I call, in the book, mass delusional behavior. This is not normal human behavior to seek the likes from strangers to somehow justify your life. Um, I, one thing that landscape photographers do this, I'm sure when I say this, you'll know this, it became really popular three years ago on Instagram, is they would start to put themselves in the landscape, right? They put themselves like in front of a waterfall or they would be like up on a cliff and have their hands out like, oh, I've arrived, thank you universe. It's, and they all copy each other. Inevitably, those photos, they do get more likes, right? Uh, because I think what's happening is when they see a, a silhouette in there, the viewer imagines himself being there. So they're like, oh, I like that. And statistically, whenever you put a photo of yourself, like a selfie or anything, it gets about 35% more likes. They've done all this analysis. So that's why people keep doing that, because they just want these likes. And then I, I even started thinking like, well, I never put myself in my landscape photos. Maybe I should do that. And then I started thinking, that's stupid. I'm not gonna do it just because other people are doing it. You know, that's not me. Um, yeah, so you really have to be constantly questioning like, what am I doing this for? Yeah, that it kind of, I think what would it, someone must be able to invent some kind of computer that, that hacks the whole, that does it the right. perfect photo to get the right amount of likes to mm -hmm. keep the right amount of variety and it'd probably it'd be interesting to see what that account oh that's gonna happen <laughs> AI is getting so good it can I don't know if you saw but NVIDIA has this new thing where they generate people's faces and it generates like millions of fake people that don't exist but it looks like an actual photo of a real person so AI is just gonna get better and better and uh, yeah we're about to move into a very weird world in that way but it's an exciting time to be alive and uh, yeah that's why I feel like there should be uh, like forces of good and love out there to help move things in the right direction, to help people be more conscious, less anxiety. And it's all ridiculous out there. Because the technology is moving so fast, but then I also heard the concept that it's actually just trying to keep up with human mm. need for progression and novelty. And mm. I mean, it's interesting landscape. Is, is there anything that, because we are coming to the world of AI and, um, and we're talking about like psychedelic research and mm -hmm. flying a drone and filming this 360 degree walking yeah. video, which uh, you got to check out if you're listening to this, check out Trey's walking podcast. It's uh, very cool. Um, what What is kind of exciting? You've got like an optimistic outlook and an and a interest in anything in particular mm. at, at the moment? Um, I am a super optimistic guy. You know, Curtis, who runs my business, thinks I'm a little too optimistic. But I actually do have enough realism. In. And I, you know, I have seen such a flowering of human consciousness. Um, started going to Burning Man eight years ago. It really changed me. I see how many people has changed in, in the right 
direction. And there's more and more of this happening. So I'm ultimately very optimistic about the world. How, how just sum up Burning Man? Because it's something that's yeah. on my to-do list. Mm. And almost for the reasons that part of me thinks it's going to, like it's sand, it's a desert, it's going to be a hassle to get there. Like there's, there's yeah. lots of things. I'm, it's not really my uh, going for a surf and having a kombucha yeah. at the beach kind of experience, right. but uh, just it, it seems to like open the mind, if nothing else. Boy, it sure does. Um, yeah, it is hard to get there, and it definitely has that, you know, Joseph Campbell-esque hero's journey sense to it because you're out in the desert and you're going to be there for seven days. You have to bring all your own food, all your own water, and take care of yourself. The, the sand isn't actually that bad. I thought I wouldn't like it, but it's actually more like a powder, like baby powder. Yeah. And so once, like, I had a little mind shift, like, I don't mind walking around with baby powder on my skin. It feels kind of nice. Um, and I also have this other theory that, like, it's on, it's on the outside of my spaceship, right? So I can get dirty. And stuff and doesn't really affect what's inside the spaceship. That's just a little mental thing I do about getting dirty or that kind of stuff, right? Um, but man, um, like imagine hanging out with like 80,000 people like us. You know, we get excited when we find like two conscious dudes that are working on themselves or whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> imagine being around, you know, 80,000 more of those people and the kind of connections you make, um, everyone's so loving. Uh, you just go get give hugs or get hugs anytime. Um, the first three years I went there, I didn't uh, do any drugs or even drink. Uh, the last five years, I have uh, really been experimenting with all this stuff. How's the difference in those two experiences? They're both great, um, and it's better with drugs, no doubt about <laughs> it. Um, and I was very skeptical too. I was very worried. You know, I had been brainwashed by society that all drugs are bad and all this stuff, which is a lie. None of this stuff is addictive. It's all mind expanding. Most of it only lasts a few hours, you know? Uh, it's totally safe. Uh, you're there with your friends and you all kind of do the same drug together. Um, I think the first one I did there was uh, mushrooms. Um, and then like I would go around and look at the lights and go like, oh, now I get it. Now I see all the lights. And I would listen to music. I was like, wow. Like, it removes filters. Like, I was really so much more sensitive to everything artistic I was seeing and, and feeling. Even just the edible marijuana. Mm -hmm. I remember listening to jazz music mm -hmm. at the time. And I, I got it. I, liked it. I got music, mm. like, at a whole nother right. level. It was mm -hmm. just kind of jazz is a bit weird. And right. some of it sounds cool. And then, mm -hmm. and then it was just like... Uh, there was no filter between me and the music. And right. that was, and I thought, I thought, why is everyone else that's not on marijuana having this kind of, kind of visual, spiritual experience? And then like looking at Ram Dass and then, and the work of Michael Pollan on set and setting, mm. it just kind of shifted my perspective on what was, you know, yeah. a harmful. Right destroyer of society and families <laughs> kind of this conditioning around it I mean yeah how do you think it's changed y your life well I know now that all these drugs that I've experimented with I can go through the whole list you're going to but they're not addictive um, they're very short-lived and but you remember everything right as opposed to a dream you know when you wake up from a dream you can kind of grasp it a little bit but it's mostly drowning itself in your memory um, you're 
totally in control the whole time. Um, it's better than alcohol in almost every way. Uh, you wake up the next day, you feel fine, no hangovers or anything. Um, you know, you can ride a bike. Um, you're not like running out into traffic and getting run over by things, you know, like they used to say. Um, it's just fantastic. And it, it is all about mindset and setting. And most of the time there, I go out with my friends to kind of like party, you know, and hear music and see stuff and laugh. And we're really talkative and super funny and all this stuff. Um, and wow, it's just, it's incredible what really what it added. And it's inspired me visually in so many ways. It's really added to my art style. Um, another thing that got me over the hump a little bit too is we have, I have many friends that are doctors and they're kind of drug geeks and say, okay, Trey, you weigh 84 kilograms. We're going to dose you with 190 milligrams of MDMA ecstasy. And they go like, it's like a doctor consultation. And they're like, okay, for five hours, you're already a happy guy, which I am, but you're gonna be so happy. You're gonna be peak Trey. You're gonna, you're gonna drop a ton of serotonin, a lot of oxytocin, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they say at the end of the five hours, people are tempted to do it again. Yeah, don't do that, right? Because you'll bottom out your serotonin. Um, and then they say your serotonin will rebuild over the next six days, but if you have 5-HTP in between, it will rebuild in four days, and then you can do it again. So these are like always optimizing their experiences. Um, and that made me feel safe when they told me this. Um, yeah, so it's been a real learning experience. Um, I've gotten a few of my friends and roommates there to try it too. They were really skeptical. And we're such geeks, we just sit around the next day at breakfast and we're just like talking about everything that we felt and experienced it. Um, we're really analyzing it, you know, like really getting into it, like physically, mentally, spiritually. Um, sometimes the next day's analysis is even more interesting than the actual experience. That might be in the next podcast. Yeah. <laughs> the, I think that, that set and setting and the, you compare that with like a shaman or a group of mm. friends in nature or something compared to getting something you don't know about when you're 16 in it. Right club and yet in a car. Well, I don't know. You know the the, the how it can be completely misconstrued and the, and then mm. send you in the opposite direction. But um, well, this is what I think is so clever about this Michael Pollan book is that these are counseled high dose psilocybin sessions where you go in with a counselor and you write down an intention, like I want to work on my dad issues or whatever it is. You know, everyone has their own issues. Or you could just say, like, I want to explore myself. Sometimes it's like, oh, I have cancer. I'm scared I'm going to die. It can be anything, right? And then so you go into this session and um, it's, a, it's a room, you know, and, and they mind you the whole time. You put on an eye mask and then you listen to music and you just kind of lay down for five or six hours. And the amount of research has been done about how healing this is, especially for people with depression or PTSD uh, people dying of cancer, dying of anything, you know, this, this frees them. And they say it's like 10 years of counseling in just five hours. But even though I haven't done th those particular sessions, I kind of go out around Burning Man and do this stuff. I still have spiritual breakthroughs. I mean, I really get to know myself. I see beautiful stuff. I cry. Like, I, we were back in the room, our little RV, and we were listening to music. And while our eyes are closed, and we're laughing because the craziest music. And they went to sleep, but I was still going. And so I put on some Hans Zimmer. I love Hans Zimmer. I think it was Interstellar. I thought, what's it going to be like if I listen to music? What did you I think of Interstellar? I, I love, love that movie. Isn't it great? Yeah. Fantastic. And so 
I thought, what will happen if I listen to a song I've already listened to a hundred times and I love while I'm on this stuff? And so I was laying back, I was listening to it, and it has this beautiful rising crescendo, like all Hans's music does. And there's a little part of me that always is kind of hanging on to myself, right? I have a little tether back to home base. But then I thought, I'm gonna let that go. I'm in a safe place, I'm laying in bed with my friends, I'm warm, and everything's fine. So I totally let go, oh man, I was crying. Like, it wasn't a happy cry or a sad cry, it was like transcendent. I saw the most beautiful thing. I saw these chrome figures like holding each other, the universe spinning all around them. It was, the, it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen as the music is going off. And I, like, I saw how beautiful the universe was. What's confusing to me is I don't, is this all in my brain? Am I seeing what is actually out there? My brain generating this stuff? And if my brain is generating it, my God, I thought I was creative, but that is in, insane, right? I'm like, wow, what a, what a world, what a universe. Um, yeah, I have had one counseled session about three weeks ago, I was with a shaman and she gave me the crystallized poison of the Sonoran desert toad. <laughs> Giant vibe. Hey, can you get that off the shelf? Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, it's called Five uh, Meo DMT. That's the molecular name. Um, it was a 15-minute experience, and this shaman had done it for a thousand people, so I felt pretty safe. I was pretty nervous because I know this is not a pleasant experience. I knew it was going to be a healing, violent experience. Um, but that was a wild ride. Um, I've also tried regular DMT four times, and that's very pleasant. I mean, it lasts 10 or 15 minutes, and that's quite mind-expanding when you get to see the matrix and you see all the machine elves that are building this video game that you're in, and you go to another level, and it's just like, wow, what a universe, man. Incredible, very humbling, very ego-dissolving. And it, you feel so much love in there. I'm like, wow. Sometimes you cry because you're just like, I can't take that much love or you don't feel deserving of that much love. And then it helps me bring back love to other people. Yeah. That's, and I guess that's what's echoed through all of these practices like meditation, psychedelics, mm -hmm. is like even like flow state sports is kind of like mm -hmm. getting out of your head, getting into a space of love and flow right. and oneness. And yeah, I mean, for, for me, it feels like that, that psychedelic or even the medical marriage, just like lifted the veil and, and creates the curiosity in the crack, which kind of mm -hmm. starts to open you up. And cause I feel, you know, you kind of feel in your body so closed off around certain people and certain mm -hmm. situations. I'm like, where's this? Mm -hmm but I don't have a way to process it or get out of it. And um, I, mean, I was talking to you today about an exercise we did with Preston Smiles where you, you kind of metaphorically wear love goggles and you try and look at everything as God and or you, the universe or consciousness. And yeah, it, just, it seems like the next evolution of consciousness is, is going to be helped through plant medicine and, mm. and we'll kind of bring something back. And it's, yeah, I'm excited to, Except to explore it. We are, we need to, um, I, I like that these are intelligent people, intellectuals who are having grown up, mature conversations about this stuff. Um, 
And there's so late in testing now, and we got to get people off these antidepressants and opioids. That stuff doesn't work. There are plant medicines that work. Our ancestors, 99% of our ancestors use this stuff all the time. And the likes of, we're talking about Tim Ferriss and your friends Kevin Kelly and Kim, Kim Rose. Rose and, um, like I said, like really smart, intellectual, yeah. philosophical people who are funding this research, who are... Uh, and, and it seems like, I read something that like 90% of Silicon Valley billionaires or something microdose and oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, there's like layers to life. There's people who are actually yeah. conscious, doing well, creative, present, and they've kind of got the secret hack that's still illegal yeah. in most places. Yeah. Um, and yet it's a plant that's found in every native culture or it, yeah. it, it seems it's real so too. bizarre. And I, I know I'm lucky to know some of these billionaires because we have some great art collectors. And yeah, they're all very interested in it. And look, these guys don't fuck around. They don't want to fuck up their lives. They're not just like partying, just a party. Like this is like soul searching kind of stuff. And it's real, you know? Um, and so, and I think that's, so now it's coming from a different direction. There's always kind of like the hippie movement, right? People that just live in Portland and just hang out and do drugs all the time. You know, there's always that kind of people, right? And that's kind of what it was like, I guess, back in the 60s and 70s. And that, it was that crowd. He's like, oh, that's... A... Nothing wrong with that crowd. That's my crowd, too. But now it's coming from this other angle, too. Um, and it's, there's research going on at Johns Hopkins and phase three trials. It's going to go legal on the ballot, I think, in Denver and Portland in a month or so. Um, yeah, there's a lot of progress being made, and I think it really will heal so many people. There are so many depressed people. Um, you'll read in this Michael Pollan book that depression is such a big problem in Britain, well, all over, but Britain, that they are starting to fund some of the psychedelic stuff because they're like, well, these antidepressants aren't working. It's fucking up, you know, tens of millions of people. Um, big Pharma likes it. I'm not, I'm not like conspiracy theorist about Big Pharma, but they have an interest, a financial interest in people using antidepressants. Yeah, I mean, one of my other podcasts with Julia Rutledge was use micronutrients, um, no side effects, a, a many-fold times improvement on, on, on getting people off, mm. you know, cured or, or stable or whatever the metric is, but there isn't this huge money and in industry mm. around it yet and it's still unconventional and it's like micronutrients it's just more mm. minerals and fruits and vegetables and, and, and zinc and B vitamins and, mm. and, and then you add something like psychedelics and, and it's interesting looking at Wim Hof like th that breathing technique was uh, Stan Groff like he developed mm. like a DMT style breathing technique yeah. to, to mimic psychedelics to help open people right. up. I know that's been catching on. Is that something you've tried as well? Holotropic breathing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I haven't tried it yet. I would be interested in trying it though. It sounds wild, right? <laughs> I've read quite a bit of it. Michael Pollan talks about it in his book too. Um, yeah, I might try it. Um, sounds interesting. Yeah, because it's just breathing. It's not even no substances. Yeah, you're creating yeah. that. Because you mentioned yeah. before, it's all chemistry that's already in the body. You know, you're right. unlocking things that are kind of already there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think it might have some, because there is DMT naturally in your body um, and holotropic breathing might release some of that that puts you into somewhat of an ecstatic state. Um, 
unknown. Yeah, it's a mysterious one. And that's the other thing is that even though there's so much science being done, is they're not exactly sure how it's working. You know, they can't, and they have enough studies and they could look, okay, we gave, like I remember back in, you know, in this book it was talking about, like in the 70s when they were still doing research before Nixon nixed it uh, because of the war and that kind of stuff. That It's very interesting how it all got put aside. And there was university studies going all over the place and they brought in like a thousand alcoholics and they gave them a high dose counseled LSD acid session. And it cured like 85% of them or something, which is incredible, right? Um, yeah, so there's, but they don't even know, they don't really know how it works, but they could look at a thousand tests, 85% good. That's enough science, even though they don't really know how it's interacting with you. Was it, I think one of the, the, the leaders, uh, leading doctoral scientists that used to put people asleep, you know, like underneath the test, and he started studying consciousness. He's like, we, we, we know how to put people to sleep, but we don't actually know what is going on. Like, right. what is consciousness? Where does the mind and yeah. and reality like end and finish? But um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an exciting space to to. It's almost like the universe, and like Eckhart Tolle talks about that the universal law of the universe is to try and increase consciousness, and it's it's like the plants are. Like we're just discovering the plants have their own neural network mm -hmm. and the way they communicate, and then that perhaps they're using us to help mm -hmm. increase the consciousness of everything. And it, it seems like pretty a pretty exciting exciting space, and to to explore that in your your work, photography or mm. whatever you're doing, I think is um, such a neat concept. Is there anything you want to leave people with in terms of book re books or resources or places people can go to find your work as well? Sure, I have a list uh, on my website of books I recommend. Um, you can also see it if you go to kit.com slash Trey Ratcliffe. Those are all affiliate links back to Amazon, but it's a, it's a nice way to visually see all the books I recommend. Um, and my main, my, main, my main website is www.stuckincustoms.com or I'm easy to find all over the internet. Just look for Trey Ratcliffe. I guess two, a few books I'll recommend. One is The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Fantastic book. I might even like that book more than the Eckhart Tolle books, which are genius. I was listening uh, to him, I think, on Oprah Super Soul and uh, it was... Right. Same thing. I thought, yeah. wow, this this guy is yeah. And for those who don't know, he was a Silicon Valley kind of multi-schoolinger. Right. Yeah. Who wrote? Anyway, I'm excited to read that book. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's fun too because he he's funny, you know, <laughs> and he says things in clever ways. Like each chapter is a different thought experiment, which is kind of a fun way to like. For example, I'll tell you about chapter one is. He says, okay, you know how there's this voice in your head, right? The crazy monkey tells you to do all this stuff all the time. It's always talking to you. So imagine that the voice was not in your head, but there was like another Doug right beside you, right? A shorter, squattier Doug, right? And that other thing is saying all this stuff all the time to you. So like you're sitting in the car with it and it says like, you should check the mail. Uh, you should call your mom. You look kind of fat in that. Um, we should, you should call your mom, it's time to get her a present. 
oh, you shouldn't have said that stupid thing last night to your girlfriend. She, you really fucked that up. Hope she forgives you. Maybe you should wear a different shirt next time. Don't forget to get the mail. Go get the, go get, you gotta stop. It gets a, and then eventually you'd be like, shut the fuck up, dude. Like, would that not be the most annoying friend? And then also, why would you ever take advice from this guy? He's obviously insane. And so these thought experiments, and then he teaches you like, uh, guess what, you're not the thoughts in your head, you're the silence behind them. You can just watch the thoughts go by like clouds or trees. Now you know this, because you study yogi, yoga stuff and this sort of thing. But this is, can be a new concept to a lot of people. But even to know it and to have a refresher or a, a new metaphor to describe it, uh-huh. that's interesting because Tony Robbins used the same technique, but he got you to name it. All right. As something that's not yourself. Yeah. And so my, mine was Dougal. Yeah, right. <laughs> the type of, uh, what, what yeah. would you name your, your little man? I don't know, twerp <laughs> or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so I recommend that book. That book yeah. um, and then Michael Pollan's book. And I also recommend uh, DMT, The Spirit Molecule, um, which is another very scientific book. And they talk about all the studies of this um, uh, of this amazing substance. It's, it's the active ingredient that's in an ayahuasca ceremony, too. Isn't that a, a movie as well, a documentary? It is, but it's on YouTube. I don't think the movie is as good as the book because the book is just chock full of data yep. and uh, studies and experiences. Um, yeah, I, I think if everyone on Earth did DMT, that it would be a much more loving, awesome place. Yeah, and it's a, it's a weird experience because when you take it, it only lasts 15 minutes and you have a minder there that's taking care of you and you just kind of like lay back on a pillow. You don't have a choice, you're, you're in 45 seconds, you're gone. And your friends just see you just laying there quietly, breathing. But inside there's time dilation and wow, do you ever go have incredible insights. Um, so it's not uh, dangerous at all. Um, and it gives you incredible, like we've all heard from people that do these ayahuasca. I have not done the full ayahuasca ceremony. I am going to, it's a long five, six hour thing and that can involve a lot of uh, you know, vomiting and it can be pretty rough but it's supposed to be super powerful as well. Um, yeah, so anyway, DMT, the spirit molecule, really uh, t- t- teaches you a lot about this. Um, fascinating book. I appreciate your time and, and insights and, and just your generosity with your ideas and curiosity and, and, and love and everything. So it's been a treat. All right, Trey. thanks, good guy. A treat to get to know you. And this is just the beginning of our relationship. Oh, which is even more exciting. What are we going to do tomorrow? Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) And I might get just one. I'll just make sure the camera's got you um, decently in frame. If you had had just one last bit of advice for uh, the audience or the world, what would you you like to to pass on? I think it's important for people to love themselves. A lot of people are so hard on themselves, you know, they're so judgy by themselves. You just love yourself. It's actually pretty easy to do. Forgive yourself, right? Everyone fucks up, right? Not perfect. Um, and, you know, I think most people don't even know that they're allowed to forgive themselves because we live in a society either with schooling or parenting or whatever, where you make mistakes and then your parents get angry at you or the school gets angry at you, or your work gets angry at you, when you make mistakes, there's always repercussions, and you're constantly being told by society that you're 
a failure, right? In soft and overt ways. Um, and so you can kind of internalize that kind of stuff. You go like, oh, maybe I'm kind of a loser. Maybe I'm kind of a fuck up. But you can totally forgive yourself. I mean, if you're watching this, I give you permission to forgive yourself. You're fine. Just dust yourself off, jump back up, and, and go for it, you know? Don't be afraid. And don't be afraid to love yourself. It's, uh, you probably know how to love yourself better than anybody, and that will bring the right kind of relationships into your life. Love it. Great place to end. Well, what an episode. Plenty of love, goodness in there, and hopefully a few little photography moments of inspiration as well. Um, make sure you check out his work, his blog, stuckincustoms.com, and he's got his own website with his fine art sales under treyratcliffe.com, and then also his YouTube channel and Instagram. And uh, that video of Trey and I will be up shortly, I think, walking the Breamtail Walk, the 360-degree video. Very cool. And um, and if you love this episode, uh, a share, a comment, a review, maybe even just leave a note for someone you love in your life will give them a call. Show your vulnerability, show your love, show your creativity. Creativity comes from that place of vulnerability. Let your guard down, put your arms out, give someone a hug, do whatever, <laughs> whatever feels right. Sometimes it feels really uncomfortable. That's cool too, but really appreciate you listening in. I would love to hear from you and sign up to the newsletter. I know you want to do it. It's um, going to be sharing some great content on there, trips, giveaways, and uh, yeah, just a great way to keep in touch. I want to do many more adventures like the walk I did with Trey and include more people in the journey. So think less, experience more. Hope you dug it. Till next time. Massages. And, and like, hugs. Cross the, the strings. The the um kombucha guys I used to live with, they, they were notoriously good huggers. Like they would, you know, everyone would go to leave, and yeah. they'd be like, "No, nah, the good stuff doesn't happen for about 15 more seconds." <laughs>